we don't stigmatize somebody because he has heart disease or cancer. But as soon as we say he has, well, I do. I mean, fair enough. I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually Chuck do. and I actually have a little yeah, club. Yeah, gotta be honest. We know? get we get together and we just harass yeah. people that have cancer. But you were yeah, saying, I'm like, how dare you? The Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing a beautiful mind. So I'll ask about schizophrenia, governing dynamics, and how to find secret codes in People magazine. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two fascinating guests joining me today. I'm very excited to talk to them. My first guest is the Senior Associate Dean for Healthy Aging and Senior Care, Professor of Psychiatry and Neurosciences, and Director of the Center for Healthy Aging at UC San Diego. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dilip Jest. Thank you, Ethan. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be on your show. Oh, the pleasure and the privilege is all mine, sir. I'm very excited to talk to you. I also have to mention that you have a book out called Wiser, The Scientific Roots of Wisdom, Compassion, and What Makes Us Good. So can you tell me what makes us good? Because my parents never got around to it. <laughs> well, if we are more empathic and compassionate, if we help other people, if we have control over our emotions, and if we think about how we can get better, then we can be wiser, we can be happier. Something that is often missing, especially in the high politics. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Jeez Louise. Um, so you're saying, if I'm hearing you correct, that if I can learn to control my emotions a little bit more, I can be smarter. I could be more of an intellectual. Is that correct? That is correct. Wisdom is different from intelligence. There are people who have yes. high IQ, but they are not wise people. You know, some of these mass murderers, terrorists, they are very smart, but they are not compassionate at all. And so that makes them unwise. So being wise is actually, you need some intelligence, but more than that, you need to help other people. That's a critical component mm. of wisdom. I see what you're saying. It's a, it's, now I'm feeling better about myself, but I'm slowly learning that I may be quite wise and just very dumb, uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, our second guest is is going to help us dissect this. Uh, he is a brilliant comedian and host of the new season of Brain Games, co-host of Star Talk and TED Talk speaker. Welcome to the show, Chuck Nice. Thank you, Ethan. Um, you allow me to um, be the antithesis. Uh, of of what the good professor said. Uh, Please. Uh, one, it is a privilege for you to have me on your show. Uh, <laughs> You're two, right. Two, I, am, uh, I have neither intelligence nor wisdom. Uh, three, I am an awful person. <laughs> yep. And I, am, and I am perhaps beyond redemption because I'm fully aware of all those things. <laughs> and you're fine with it. Seems like you're proud of it. Right. I believe... I believe I've just described what would commonly be referred to as a sociopath. So I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll follow it all up with I'm joking. Okay. Ah, okay. Thank God, because I really thought we could just not talk about the movie and just try to diagnose you the entire session here. But. You know, we could do that because, quite frankly, a beautiful mind is, on the one hand, um, I'd like to think uh, 
titularly uh, autobiographical, but then on the other hand, it's also somewhat autobiographical <laughs> from from speaking from experience. <laughs> so there's a there's a lot I identify with in that movie. Let me just say, you know, we'll get into that though. I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you, for, of course, for joining us. It is a pleasure and a privilege to have you on the show. I'm a big oh, fan. And uh, since we're talking about a beautiful mind, I had a, just a question for you. You've interviewed some of my heroes. Jamie Foxx, Chris Rock, incredible people. And so in your opinion, who has the most beautiful mind? I'm going to say that all of their minds, including uh, their, because what is the mind, first of all? I mean, you can look at it as a a measure of intellect. You can look at it as uh, your um, place of consciousness. I mean, some believe that the brain is nothing more than a bunch of neurons firing chemically and electric and 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 electro electrically. And, you know, that's what makes up the mind. Um, I think it's a combination of all those things. And of all the people that I have interviewed in entertainment, I believe that they are all um, equally deficient. <laughs> <laughs> They're all tied for last. They're all tied for last, buddy. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, uh, I I thank you for joining us. I thank you both for joining us. And uh, it was actually a a shock to Emily, my producer, and I, because we... It's, it's incredible that we haven't done this on the program. We've talked about so many movies on the podcast and somehow haven't uh haven't dissected a beautiful mind but i'm super glad we're doing it with the both of you i love this movie i've always loved this movie i was also shocked to learn that it won four academy awards again not that i think it's bad but that seemed like a lot to me uh it was also a huge hit it made a ton of money so in all in all sectors this movie was a huge success uh and i just wanted to throw it to you guys first to see what you thought of the movie Actually, I like the movie a lot. So I'm a psychiatrist and I treat people with schizophrenia. But I'm also a researcher. And my area of research is actually schizophrenia and aging. And from that perspective, this movie is really, the whole, it is based on a true story. You know, I mean, yeah, as usual, the Hollywood takes some liberties with truth here and there. But by and large, it is based on a real story, which is amazing. I mean, this John Nash, a genius, also suffered from schizophrenia. And then as he got older, he got better. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. And he was, uh, I was the president of the American Psychiatric Association about 15 years ago. And the year before that, John Nash was invited as a keynote speaker. So think about a person with schizophrenia being invited to be a keynote speaker at the American Psychiatric Association. That's amazing. So I find this uh, beautiful story and I actually like the way it was done uh, by Ron Howard. Yeah, I I listen, I I really do enjoy the movie. Um, It made me cry. So I'm just going to go ahead and get that. I'm just going to get that out of the way. The... um, you know, uh, the part where uh, um, Ed Harris 
basically at the end looks at him like, God, I don't serve a purpose anymore. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> you felt bad <laughs> no, for his delusion. The pen, <laughs> yeah, I, I was just like, God, these delusions, they now have no one. They're so what lonely. About the poor, what about those poor delusions? Who will they haunt now? Who's going to take um, care of that little girl? That little girl who never grows up. And now she is, you know, relegated to wandering the earth with nothing and no one to she'll, haunt. She'll never this go is, to prom. Exactly. Okay. You know, anyway, um, never want, never again to know the joy of her avuncular love that's just showered upon her every time she sees uh, John Nash. It's just awful. This is awful. No. Here's the thing. That what made me um, cry was the pen ceremony. Because uh -huh. if you remember the beginning of the movie, um, someone asked him, and I don't know uh, who, I think it might have been Judge Hirsch, Judd Hirsch, who said, oh, so what you want is, uh, rec he said recognition. Mm -hmm. And then Judd Hirsch had a different word for him, which uh, was- Accomplishments, I think. Accomplishments. Right, you know? right. Um, so he said, uh, and then Judd Hirsch said recognition. And he said, aren't they the same? You know, like, it, which kind of harkens back to when they were talking about Adam Smith in the movie. God, I'm such a geek. Okay. I You're just in the right realized, spot, buddy. Okay, good. <laughs> but when they were talking about Adam Smith in the movie and, you know, <clears throat> every man working in his own self-interest um, ultimately works for the good of all, you know, mm -hmm. which is wrong. But still, the, um, but, you know, the pen ceremony summed all of that up but at the same time showed the compassion of our existence, which is antithetical to Adam Smith. Like, I'm going to get mine, like that rapper's mentality. I'm going to get mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get mine, and that's it. <laughs> you know, you're on your own. I got love for the streets, but the streets don't have love for me. Like, that's a bunch of crap. That's BS, okay? <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is we are all interdependent. We all need one another. And quite frankly, you cannot be a person of compassion unless you understand that. And that to me is what the pen ceremony represented. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, like John Nash looking at a newspaper. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like you're on point. It seems like the doctor is agreeing with you here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. No, I think the support that Nash received from his wife and his, especially his colleagues at Princeton. I thought that was amazing. And I thought that's true again. By the way, I understand that the pen ceremony was something that did not take place in reality. This is something that was made up mm. for the movie. Ron Howard put it in to make Chuck nice cry. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Ron Howard, you got me again. <laughs> Oh, first it was happy days and now this. Oh. <laughs> but, that, but that's one of the actually things I liked about Ron Howard, that he made the movie really, truly emotional, which otherwise it would not have been. Uh, similarly, yeah. and like the speech he gives after accepting the Nobel Prize, in reality, he never gave a speech. Actually, in reality, too, there's no Nobel Prize for economics, by the way. Just so people know, Whoa. it's it's yeah. You didn't know that it's a Did he sponsored. Not win? Oh no, he won, but it is a sponsored prize. And so I forget what bank, but there's a bank who was just like economics are really important. We sh this should be a part of the Nobel um, categories. And but Alfred Nobel, like you know, there was never a recognition for economics. 
So it's a mm. fake award. He no, won. it's not fake. It's just not <laughs> an actual sanctioned Nobel Peace Prize. I can't respect it. <laughs> I should have never bought it up. I've just I've just trashed this whole man's career and his accomplishments. You know, I have never even received a prize out of a cereal box. Why should I even be bringing this up? <laughs> hey, man, he didn't do nothing for me. I, I don't care about him. Exactly. <laughs> I buy into that. Um, okay, so, but you're saying, I think what you're saying here, Doctor, is that although Ron Howard took some liberties, there are some things that happened that didn't happen in real life. His portrayal of mental illness did have some merit. Absolutely. I think the example is these, uh, all these scenes uh, with Ed Harris' character, for example, they suggest that he saw those people. So that is visual hallucination. Nash never had visual hallucinations. Whoa, okay, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on the other hand, actually, I give him credit for doing that. Because, so I'm a psychiatrist, oh. and I see people with schizophrenia, and I knew the story before I went to the movie. And yet, when I was first seeing the movie, and I saw this guy from the Department of Defense and these Russian spies and all those explosions, and and he's putting those uh, classified uh, files in the mailbox. I mean, I thought really that was so true. And then I found out that that was all delusion. And I really give a lot of credit to Ron Howard for that, that the best way to show to the people was in the form of this visual hallucination. So although Nash didn't have them, per se, in his mind, he was he was seeing those people. And that is what he did by visualizing them. And I thought that was just brilliant to show because it is very important for lay people to understand what happens to a person with schizophrenia. I mean, how can they have such delusion? Then you can see how that can be happening. So, Doc, let me ask you this. Is there um, a distinction between visual hallucinations for someone with schizophrenia is that one type and then of course how does that differ between what you normally uh, encounter in not only as a trope in entertainment but maybe just in general is voices in my head so and 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 what would cause those i mean i'm sure it's a different part of your brain being affected but what causes that that's a great point great point so what Nash did have is auditory hallucination. In the sense, he heard voices that were not there. He didn't see people, but he heard voices. So he heard the voice of Ed Harris' character, for example, or his roommate character, or his niece, for example. He didn't see them. But in his mind, he visualized those people. And how can you show that? So that's why um, in the movie, these are shown as real people that, that he saw. But your point is well taken in terms of the part of the brain that is involved. So part of the brain that is involved in visual hallucinations is different from that involved in auditory hallucinations. It is just like the part of the brain that involved in vision is different from the part involved in hearing, right? Those are different. And what studies show is that if you do brain imaging while you are hearing something, mm. and then you do brain imaging while a person is having auditory hallucinations, you see the same thing happening in the brain. Wow. So that means they really hear those voices. 
you know it is almost like a dream at that you know we have a dream and we feel it is really happening you know we get so nervous so you know it's a nightmare and so on so this is like that except that they're fully conscious and awake and still they're hearing voices or sometimes seeing people wow yeah. that's uh, super scary and this was i guess a rare case because you mentioned that he got better where normally it's degenerative correct so, so <laughs> Yeah, actually, if, if I may, I want to add Please. something to that personally, because I'm, as I said, I do research on schizophrenia and schizophrenia and aging. And traditionally, researchers have believed that schizophrenia patients, as they get older, they become demented, that they lose everything that they have. Many of the patients, by the way, die young. Schizophrenia patients die 15 years earlier than population at large. But those who do grow older, they think they become demented. And we published several papers that are saying that that is not the case. Actually, people get better as they get older. And so when <laughs> this story came out, I was so happy that it proved actually what we were saying. And uh, and I think that is true in the sense people do improve. I mean, they have to survive into later life. And mm -hmm. what helps them is the support. What Chuck was mentioning is absolutely right. The support that is provided by other people, in this case, with his, especially by his wife, but also by the Princeton faculty, that was critical. Without that, mm. this wouldn't have happened. You know, it's odd that you, not odd. Why would I say it's odd? It makes perfect sense. You're a doctor of psychiatry. Nothing you say is odd. It's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> What's, what, what just struck me about what you said is that there's been studies done about drug addiction, and they found that the people who have the greatest chance of recovering from drug addiction are not those that work their program or their steps, or it's those who have a stalwart support system where that support system somehow outweighs the damage done to your dopaminergic system that causes you to want to do drugs. Am I correct or, or uh, correct me? I don't, you know, I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't have doctor in front of my name. <laughs> no, you, you are absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. Social support matters so much and not just for mental illnesses, even for physical illnesses. I mean, remission from cancer. I mean, clearly you need biology, you need treatment. No question about that. But social support is the single most important thing society can do for people with illnesses. Wow. You know, that here in America, that could, that's why we're screwed, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that <laughs> looking out for myself mentality. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, tell me about, hey, we got a pandemic. Hey, guess what? I'm okay. All right. <laughs> it's my mouth, my, my face, my choice. Okay. Dude. Did you not realize you can't fart in an elevator? It's your butt, but it's my nose. Come on. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Don't apologize, please. I love that. Um, I just uh, want that like on loop now. But yeah, I mean, it seems like the programs, you're right, Chuck, that we have in place are definitely not sufficient or they're not focused in the right way. Um, so Dr. Jess, are you... Are you in your research? Is that something you're trying to implement a little bit more of? You know, creating these these structures. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, these are called social determinants of health. Things that affect health 
more than things like obesity or high blood pressure or uh, diabetes, things that affect most are social things, social connections. And a lot of research has shown that. So this is not some feel-good TV science. Social connections are so critical for human species that without that, we would not survive. I just love that the doctor is just like, look, this isn't like some TV, like this ain't Dr. Phil, okay? <laughs> just like, how's that working out for you? Huh? <laughs> Your feel-good TV stuff right here. But anyway, that's cool. <laughs> he was basically just calling you out, Chuck. He didn't, he, I, I, he's trying to be nice, but he's basically I saying. He was, like, he was like, this is no brain games on the road, <laughs> okay? This is, this is no cursory attempt to show people how their brains work. This is real stuff. We got MRIs. We put people in the tunnel, buddy. That's what we call it in my business, putting you in the tunnel, okay? That's what we did, okay? This isn't some... Uh, schoolyard elementary brain games on television. It, right. I do research. Uh, no, that is awesome. And I love that you guys are fighting on the podcast. It adds drama, and that's what people really want anyways. Now, I should say, Chuck and I are not fighting, actually. We are saying the same thing. And so... Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel good about that. <laughs> One thing, I'm just stoking the fire. You know, as a, as a psychiatrist, when I see Hollywood movies on mental illnesses, I come out either feeling frustrated and angry or just laughing at that because it was so ridiculous. This is one of the few movies where I really thought that they showed psychiatry and mental illnesses the way they should be looked at. And so you feel good about John Nash. You know, you don't... At this, uh, so, so that's something, and also about his wife, the, his colleagues. So you can see how the whole community got together to help him. And of course, he's a genius. But still, without that community, he wouldn't be here that way. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Doc, um, because one of the things that I notice as a person who suffers from mental illness, I say that <clears throat> without compunction or any uh, like stigma attached, uh, people who have a problem with uh, the terminologies that accompany mental illness, it's their problem. You know, no, nobody has a problem saying, oh, I'm calling out sick, you know. But if somebody says you're sick in the head, all of a sudden it's a big, huge, you know, uh, disparaging remark. Well, I got news for you, America. Most of you are sick in the head. In some way, shape, or form, you are. Um, and that's why the world has so many ills. But back to my question, when, when off of my soapbox right now, my feet are clean. I'm going to get off my soapbox because my feet are clean. Okay, so, so my, my question is this. In the movie, um, they did not follow up with his um, medication regimen. They showed him just once taking his medication, but then they ultimately showed him uh, relapsing. Mm -hmm. But normally when that happens, it happens because people stop taking their medication, which they didn't establish. And then they kind of made it look like on his own, he was able to decipher these things that were going on in his head 
which might give someone the impression that it was his own will that allowed him to recover. So, you know, I said all that to ask you to speak to all those things because I think it's important for people to understand, you know, how those things work. You know, you make a great point. Really, this is it's really an important point to make about the movie. So, you know, they show John Nash getting insulin shock medications. He also received psychotherapy. He got some of the best treatments it could anybody could get at that time. And psychotherapy, one part of psychotherapy is called cognitive behavior therapy. In which you tell people with schizophrenia to separate out auditory hallucinations from the real voices they hear. Similarly, the imaginary visual hallucinations from the real people they see. And you have to pinch yourself and say, am I hearing the voice, my own voice, or am I actually hearing from somebody else? At the end, they show that when he sees Air Harris character and this friend, and he said, no, they, they, won't, they are there, but they won't mean anything to me. So why he got better was Partly because that cognitive behavior therapy he must have received for decades now started having an effect. Mm -hmm. And medications are necessary. But John Nash is also actually truly an exception. It is indeed true that he did not take medication after age 50. He did not. It is true that he did not take medication after age 50. But I would strongly suggest that nobody should follow that because many people will relapse if they don't take the medication. So most people need medication. I mean, unless, you know, they're genius. And John Nash might have done even better if he had continued medication. Nonetheless, well, that's true. yeah. So I really think it is very important for people with schizophrenia to take medication, at least in small dosages. And John Nash, again, had tremendous support. His wife was there all the time. I mean, they got divorced, but then they got remarried. And even when they were divorced, the wife was so supportive. Uh, Again, most people don't have that kind of a thing. Divorcing and remarrying the same woman is clearly an indication of mental illness. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm talking about my wife. I shouldn't say these things. I also also think uh, it shows so much hope. The movie's all about hope. And how, really is. you know, yeah. community got back, you know, but that's just another hopeful story that even even when you mess up your marriage and divorce, you there's right. still a chance you guys get married again. Yeah, which is that's kind of cool, actually. That's pretty cool. It. Super yeah. hope. Hidden so, hope when, in this movie. When, so I know that a lot of people stop taking their medication. And this may seem counterintuitive, but because they feel like they're getting better. They don't, what is it about us that we don't attribute our progress to the science behind what is making us better? We get to a place where we feel better and we're like, look at that, I don't need anything. I'm good. (laughs) I know. By the way, in the movies, there's some indication that he had side effect of the medication. So there's a scene in which Alicia, she looks like she wants to have sex and he says no. And she asks, is it your medication? And so maybe, maybe he thought that the side effect of the medication and that's why he stopped. Uh, in reality, that's not usually what happens. I mean, people do get side effects from this drug, like any medication for cancer, whatever it is, right? But people do stop medication and that's the worst thing they can do. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break 
is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So I strongly advocate people should take medication. There are side effects, and then you can reduce the dose. You can change the medication, but again, your doctor should tell you what to do, and don't take that into your own hand. That is important. Yeah, the the doctor he was seeing, uh, for one, I believe had some sort of shock treatment that like regimen that he put him on. So I wanted to ask about this five times a week shock treatment, and oh then he also, yeah, and he also said that if he doesn't do the treatment that his fantasies could quote take over entirely so can you tell me about shock treatment and about what take over entirely entails sure so mind you this is 1950s and early 60s uh the medication that we use today came out for the first time in late 1950s till that time there was no treatment for schizophrenia that was useful so people used to give electric shocks even brain surgery the remote part of the brain as a part of surgery. So, uh, so, so that was the treatment. People remained in restraints. I mean, if you saw the movie One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, you know what they. That was a terrible treatment. That was real, but that was the only treatment available. Once the medication came out, things improved. So today, nobody gives electric. I mean, nobody gives insulin shock, and electric shock not for schizophrenia. They're u- very useful for depression. Especially suicides or for bipolar, not for schizophrenia. Medications are not enough. Psychotherapy is critical. Psychotherapy of some form must be given to every single person with schizophrenia or any other mental illness. The worst thing we can do is just to prescribe medication, and unfortunately, that's what happens in the healthcare system. For 15 minutes for a doctor to see a patient, all that they can do is prescribe a medication. Patients must have psychotherapy. I mean, there's really no alternative. You know, and what, what, uh, let me ask. I mean, of course, I'm in psychotherapy. I'm a I'm a stand-up comic. I mean, it's actually they won't let you on stage unless they know that you spoke to your therapist this week. So, <laughs> you know, that's where it is now. But um, um, why is that so crucial? What What is it about the combination? I mean, of of the medication and the psychotherapy. And what do you say to people who are like? I don't need to pay somebody to be my friend. You know, I, I got people I can talk to, to which I say to them, um, your friend doesn't get paid by people and didn't go to school for eight years to learn what to say to people who are in your position. But that's a whole nother story. What, what, why is it crucial to have both? Your friend takes pictures on the beach for money. <laughs> <laughs> No, but again, uh, you, you, you really make a very important point. What the medications do is they reduce the symptoms. They reduce delusions, hallucinations. They don't help you live everyday life. They don't teach you how to manage your finances, how to talk to your doctor or to your friend, how to establish new friendships. Those are critical for survival. Medications don't do any of that. And without psychotherapy, I mean, it is, I would say, um, malpractice to treat a person with schizophrenia without psychotherapy. And this is not true only for schizophrenia. That's true for bipolar, depression. You name the psychiatric illness. You have to have psychotherapy because we need people to change their lifestyle and not lifestyle just with physical exercise and diet and nutrition. How do you act socially? Because social interactions are critical for survival. I wanted to uh, 
ask when it comes to psychotherapy uh, for people who might be thinking thinking about doing it, um, how do you go about determining what you want to get out of psychotherapy? You know, because it seems like talk therapy is just about unburdening yourself. But is there some kind of prescription you should have going into it? Sure, sure. One thing is that psychotherapy is not a single thing. There are different types of psychotherapy. There is something called just supportive therapy. There is cognitive behavior therapy. There is what is called dynamic therapy, where you go into past history and so on. So one has to find out the right therapy for the right patient. Right. And also the same patient may need different types of therapies at different times in his life. What John Nash needed when he was 30 was very different from what he would have needed when he was 55 or 60. Right. So Mm -hmm. the therapy is not, you know, one shoe fits all kind of a thing. So you have to individualize Mm -hmm. to a person. And so but your point is well taken in the sense you have to find out what are the goals of therapy? What does the patient want? What does a family want and what is feasible? And so you work with the patient. And, you know, know, it is similar to what we do with uh, our kids when they grow up or we try to do that what they want, what is feasible. Kick them out of the house as soon as possible? (laughs) I'm sorry. I I couldn't resist that. I have three kids and I just just don't want them to live with me anymore, doctor. I don't. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Now I feel like I'm in therapy. You are. Why do I hate my children? <laughs> Why? Okay, anyway, go ahead. It's it's a lot like how we deal with children is what you were saying, but go ahead. Yeah, and again, the only difference is that when I say children, you know, sort of it is I'm looking down upon them, and that's, that's never the case with a patient. The patient is your equal, and so you have to respect the person's autonomy and what he wants, but the person has an illness, so they can't think logically, so you have to help them. So you need to have that kind of authority to help them go in the right direction. And so you work together. It's a partnership. Again, it is not therapist is up on the mountain and patient is at the bottom. No, it's a partnership. Clearly, the therapist is at a somewhat higher level because the patient has illness and needs help. Yeah. And let me just say for anybody listening right now, I don't know if you're in therapy. I was someone who always believed in it. But at the same time, was resistant to doing it. But yet I believed in it. Like, of mm-hmm. course, therapy's great. Yes. Of, oh, I'm so happy to hear you're in therapy. But then when it came to me, I was like, yeah, I don't need that. I'm, you know, what do you tell? I'm Chuck Nice. I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, what? And then once I started working, you know, I started to see so many things about me that I really did not know, you know, um, which was, which is integral to making changes, uh, you know, things that you want to change that you're like, oh, why can't I change this? Sometimes you can't because you can't see where it's coming from. And then when you actually rec- when you when you're able to identify, you know, the origin of something, you can say, you know, well, that's where it's coming from. I'm going to stop, you know, all air traffic from right over there. You know, that's, you know, I'm, that, I'm going to stop it right there. So, you know, that's, I'm just saying, do it, people, you know, yeah. do it. That's, uh, that's a wonderful endorsement. I agree. I think the, the good doctor here would agree with you as well. Um, there's nothing, should, should be no stigma about it. Seems like it can just help in all ways. And I love also what you're saying about friendship, because I think it's something that we 
view as you know, a, a non-priority or, or just a, a non-essential. And then I'm sure we've all learned from the pandemic that when you take those things away and you're kind of left with your own thoughts all the time, uh, things get dicey. I haven't yeah. recovered from being with myself for that long. Yeah. So I can totally, I, I can totally hear what you're saying, Dr. Jess, that we have to, we have to treat it very seriously. We, it is a priority in all of our lives to have a, a little community, a good support system, uh, not, you know, not only for just enjoyment or entertainment or whatnot, but for, for mental health. What you are describing, both Chuck and Ethan, is wisdom. In a way, self-reflection, right? Understanding ourselves better. What did I do that was wrong? What did I do was right? How can I get better? And so that is becoming wiser, in a way. And that applies to people with mental illnesses as well as people without mental illnesses. Can you talk about, often they show people with schizophrenia in the media or on movies and television as somehow dangerous because they're out of control. So it's like one part of them is like, you know, killer, go ahead, do it right now. And the other part is just like, I can't, she's my friend and I love her. Plus she owes me $30. I really want my money, you know, and so... (laughs) This is how they make it, and it's always one really evil side that wants to do harm, and then there's another side that it's like this angel and devil Jim, Jim, Jiminy Cricket syndrome. What's it? What do you encounter? What What are schizophrenics really like? Right, I think there is this actually total misperception that schizophrenia is dangerous because you know when we have these stories of mass murderers. Like the guy in Denver, he went to a movie theater and then uh, shot and killed 12 people. Uh, he had schizophrenia. He had, st- he had stopped his medication. And then there was a lot of write-up about how... What people don't realize is that most people with schizophrenia don't harm others. They are much more likely to harm themselves. More people with schizophrenia die from suicide than... I mean, 100 times more than the murders that they commit. So uh, people with schizophrenia are not violent, except in rare circumstances. They're more likely to harm themselves. And so we need to be really sympathetic as well as empathetic toward them. We need to help them and not view them as criminals. I think our criminal justice system in this country is so bad. You won't believe this, but more patients with mental illnesses in America are in prisons or jails than in hospitals. You know, I got to tell you, this people, we got to do better. Everybody loves America. Our ideals are just, you can't get better ideals for a nation. But God, if our execution doesn't suck. Yeah, it sucks big. I think our attitude toward mental illness needs to change. I think clearly, I mean, we don't stigmatize somebody because he has heart disease or cancer. But as soon as we say he has... Well, I do. I mean, fair enough, I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually uh, Chuck do. and I actually have a little yeah, club. Yeah, I got to be honest. We get, we get together and we just harass yeah. people that have cancer. But you were yeah, saying... I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah. People do not write. I'm a comedian and these are jokes. I don't mean any of that. Of course, I would never harangue a cancer patient. But if you are offended, if you are offended, do not write to us either. Definitely just write to Chuck. He (laughs) will set you straight. 
Yeah, I will. And I'll tell you that my mother died of cancer just, you know, a couple of years ago. So shut up. Anyway, sorry, doctor. Go ahead. Nice. Nice. So we don't I'm we don't ahead we that. don't stigmatize somebody who has cancer. But go ahead. Sorry. No, and that's why I'm the mental sorry. illness treatment for mental illness is often not reimbursed uh, to the same extent that treatment for physical illnesses is. And that, that right. that's so, so bad for a society. I'm sure in the long run, it costs us more oh, yeah. than just paying the money to give people treatment when they need it. Totally. The, the consequences of not doing that have right. got to be far more expensive than just doing it. Right. I mean, our healthcare system reimbursement is so broken. I mean, we, so typically physician visit gets paid for 15 minutes. What can, you can't do psychotherapy in 15 minutes. That is ridiculous. So that's why psychotherapy goes down. That we, so we must reimburse psychotherapy even more than we reimburse for medication because psychotherapy yeah. costs much less than the medications do. And if you can't <clears throat> access good psychotherapy, you can always watch Brain Games on the Road <laughs> on Nat Geo every Friday at 8 p.m. as well as stream it on Disney+. Plus. Starting March 2nd. Yeah. So some of you, in other words, what Chuck is saying is that some of you will have access to psychotherapy, and that's great. And for those that don't, there's brain games on the road. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. That's awesome. So you're, you're providing people with solutions. People have options. That's, that's what's beautiful about America. Yeah, um, either way, even if you can't afford psychotherapy, you still got to watch You still should watch it. That's yeah, a good point. Gotta, yeah. It's kind of like medication and psychotherapy. If you're getting medication and psychotherapy, there's nothing better that goes with that than brain games on the road. This is a both and situation, people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants a sandwich, period. You want a sandwich right. and some chips. There you go, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. A drink. Right. You, you want to wash it down with something? What are you, nuts? Right. Exactly. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's basically a supersized number one meal. There we go. That's what we're talking. Well, normally I, I ask here at the end if, there, if you have something to promote, but I feel like we knocked it out for Chuck. <laughs> I mean, unless I'm mistaken here, there's something else. Well, I mean, where can people find you online? Are you doing shows still, stand-up shows? You know, right now I'm in New York. And so if you're looking for me, most likely you can find me in a club somewhere almost every weekend. Awesome. Um, I am also, look for, if you can, uh, I'm a Chuck Nice comic everywhere. Uh, and soon, I also do a lot of work in um, climate education, you know, oh, great. climate crisis education. And we're going to be putting on a show in conjunction with the University of Colorado here in New York City, uh, where We'll have five comedians, maybe some musicians, all doing original material about the climate crisis. Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds awful. I get it. But I guarantee you it's going to be great. And you never know. You might learn something. So yeah. you know, look for that. No, that sounds awesome. Is there a date uh, for that already or not? Um, I haven't nailed it down, but it okay. will be in the... Uh, last week of March or the first week of April. Awesome. And then Brain Games on the Road is every Friday on Natio and Disney+. Plus. Okay. Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh, I have to thank you again, Chuck, for joining us on the show. Super pleasure to talk to you. Come back anytime. Um, and, uh, and Dr. Jest, obviously you have the book. It's called Wiser. Uh, where can people find it? And, and do you have boatloads of other books that people should purchase? 
this is my first book for lay people and uh, i think it's so humble brag <laughs> humble brag this is my first book for you dummies <laughs> this is my first book uh de- dedicated to normal <laughs> schmucks <laughs> so you can you can get it on amazon or you can look at wisertheboook.com uh or just stay at ucst.edu uh, but but thank you. I mean, I also enjoyed the show very much. Uh, thank you, Ethan, and thank you, Chuck. Uh, this really was uh, enlightening uh, episode for me also. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Chuck and I, that was our goal, is to come here and educate you. <laughs> <laughs> Just really wanted to make sure you learned something. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> because you're so, just because you're so disconnected from the layperson. <laughs> trying to help you out uh, no I super no, great, appreciate great to meet you doctor definitely yes yes you guys are the best I super thank you both and I will talk to you next time bye bye <laughs>